Hey, what's up? This is Evan. And Michael. And special guest. Nico. And this is Dungeon Talk episode 10. Take, take three. three. <laughs> All right. So we recorded, we recorded twice already. We're 100% sure that this is good to go. We can see wavy lines, so we're yeah. good to go this time. All right. Uh, we, we, we started the same topic twice, twice. But already. We, we started the first take. By talking about how we'd gotten better at this. So I'm going to skip that this time because now it would just be ironic. What about any of, do you want to reiterate any of the website news and that stuff real quick? Sure. Uh, we did a little bit of work on the website. I got a comment from, I think it was Robert, that the Twitter and Facebook logins weren't working. I've got the Twitter login working. I can't get Facebook. i am probably do some more work and see if I can figure that out. But you can log in now to leave comments through Twitter without having to log in through our website. And we wanted to make sure that we gave a special thanks to the people who were leaving commenting comments. and emailing us. And yeah, so we a couple of them. The most recent is I think it's Lothanian. There's also Wolfish Hunger. Both left uh, positive reviews on iTunes. And then on the website, there was a gentleman named I think Robert, and then one of the, just the initial G have all left some comments here recently. You know what I'm going to do for my next game is all my NPCs will be those are going to be people's <laughs> names. So what are they? It was Wolfish Wolf, Hunger. Wolfish Hunger? Yeah, then Lothanian. Lothanian. That sounds like a hero's name. Uh, I think it's from it's, Lost. It's, it's definitely an elf. Yeah, and then <laughs> there, there was uh, Robert with a last name. and then Wolfish Hunger sounds G. like a stage name. Or, or a ranger. Like, oh, you can be a ranger. Yeah. Or, like the bard. No, it's plays. like an attack in 4th edition. I'm going to use Wolfish, Wolfish Hunger, Hunger on Hunger, him. right. Yeah, it's a 4th level encounter power. <laughs> All right, so we want to jump into a couple of topics just because we've already wasted an hour and a half of our time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about group size. Because that's something that we are experiencing right now. Is that a penis reference? No. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> no. So, like, we're experiencing that right now. Because a different podcast. For me, the perfect size for your D&D group is one DM <laughs> and four players. Like, to me, that, that's just, I think it's the right amount of people that you got. Well, all- like, if we, like with Jared, if we had us plus Jared. Right. So, if we had one DM plus four players, I think that's the right amount that you have enough diversity in classes so that you know pretty much all the f- core can be represented. You you can have a lot of diversity in the group. If you get more than that, particularly if you're a newer DM, it's very hard to give each person the amount of time they need without the other group, other people in the group getting bored or starting side conversations. But like with our group right now, we lost player Jared, got some life issues, got in the way. He's going to take a little bit of a sabbatical. So we're now down to three. And that means if one of us has a bad day at work or we get sick or something we miss now you're, you're basically That's two and two sucks yes two so i kind of want to like what you guys think about what's the best group size and then well, how would we deal with that if we do have one person missed do we just call the games or do we just push on without them do you agree that you think dm plus four is the best or do you like something better well um so i've played with the dm and a player and i've played up to 16 players 16? 16. That's fucking this was, crazy. This was See, a crazy round. That's what I was going to say was my favorite was 16. Yeah, 16. <laughs> well, I played in it. Uh, it was like a random thing called a bunch of people wanted to role play. Three different groups got all together. And we said, fuck it, let's play a whole game all together. Um, that was a horrible idea. <laughs> I mean, I can with, see if you had with, like three DMs and 16 no, with, players. I mean, the DM was spectacular. He's still one of my favorite DMs to this day. Um, 
Uh, it wasn't it was in D and D, but regardless, when you have that many players and you hit combat, it takes like six hours for one encounter. And this was pre fourth edition. This was no, this was uh, this wasn't even D and D. But regardless, it's like it takes six hours to to, to do combat, and then you go once every forty five minutes, so you get bored. And then if you have a quiet player, I said DM, you can't push them to participate, yeah. so people will start wandering off. Now, with one player, you have the opposite problem. It's just a one-on-one, so it doesn't really feel like a game. It feels like you're just hanging out with a friend, and like allow, you get distracted for opposite reasons, because it's basically a give and take. So if you as a DM need a second to think, or if the player doesn't get it, or doesn't feel like doing something, the game kind of dies off. I, I've had a really good game with two players. Uh, I was a player I was in DM in that situation, and it was awesome because... We started with no powers. We learned our powers, but the DM had a lot of time to allow us to figure things out. Uh, we didn't even know what class we were. We were like kind of gaining hits. So slowly that was developing, and we kind of trying to, we were figuring out what our powers were. And in that situation, like even things that you normally skip over, like learning spells, right? You kind of like when you level up, you learn spells. In in that in in that game, it will literally be like. It will be a whole two games with the wizard going to school and figuring out the spell and like the intricacies of you know casting fireball and it's like oh you casted it too big or it was like you know too small or it's like it wasn't at the right spot like but it was done in a cool way that it, it allowed me to develop a very very solid grasp of my character and his positives and negatives. Four is good. I think three is good as well. Um, Do you think four is better than three? I like three more than I like four, actually. So you would prefer DM plus three? Yeah, I think that's a very good balance. Uh, four is okay. Five, it gets too much. Six is definitely too much. What does, like, when um, the D&D rule book says this is a standard encounter, is that it's for you? It's, it's four. based on four. Right. Four. And that goes back to the standard D&D four core classes. So you'd almost always have a fighter, wizard, cleric, and rogue. Right. So it always kind of assumes that you have one of each class, which doesn't always work. But it's assumed that you have four players See, almost every time. What I, the reason I was asking you if you like three or four was because... I prefer to pl- like I prefer DM plus three right now, but I was just wondering if it was because like we started that one game on that so one you, Saturday, yeah. and like we have those three characters that we all got together with on that game, and w- those three characters all were already had something to do with each other. They already had relationships that Michael had created already. And then after that, we tried to bring in a new character with Jared, and he even said like that he felt like there was some trouble meshing that character in, and so well, I was just wondering like I kind of, I'm thinking about it and I'm like do I do I prefer three only because that it's just the because it's the characters because of the characters right. and not really the number. At the I mean, I think now. three and four probably isn't a huge difference for me. The concern is like I was saying before, like what happens if one person has to miss. Do you play the game with one plus two, or do you just call it and say, okay, because we're missing a third of the players, we're just not going to play this week? Because then, because you, you know, again for us D and D, I don't know. I, just, I don't want to miss a game, but I also don't want someone to miss being there. I think I would. I we could still have fun if one person missed. Like if it was me and Nico or me and Rob, I think we could still have fun. 
for like three hours. Right. Um, as long as the plot works. The problem is when somebody misses a game, you usually don't know us at the end. And sometimes you're in a situation that... Like, for example, if we were playing and we were stuck in the town, then Mike could basically say, well, Rob is doing something personal, come up with a story, even talk to Rob and say, hey, what do you want to be doing? And then say, okay, well, you get a call from this guy and then you have to do this. And he wants, like, just the two of you to do it because for whatever reason, you can make it go. But, like, if you're in the middle of a dungeon and one player is not there, it kind of makes it awkward. And what happens as a player, you basically pretend that the guy's not there. Right, because you don't. In want Michael's to games, that's that a little bit easier because he doesn't really do long dungeon crawls that last like a couple times. Where like you're saying, like if four people go into a mountain and they gotta fight all the way to the end, and that takes three sessions, and that takes three sessions, then if one person doesn't show up the next time, then you're like, well, what do you do? Right, and it's just kind of because the way I've always handled that is that the the character is still there. They just kind of fade into the background. They don't really make decisions. They don't really fight. No one attacks them. They don't really have to attack anybody. And as long as the party survives, they survive. Uh, but again, if you're in a, an urban setting or something else, it, it's easier to do a story. But my problem with doing that is, let's say I create this interest, in, intricate story on why Rob's character isn't there, but then you guys do something just crazy and now I have to come up with this other crazy story on how Rob catches up to you now that you've been teleported to another city by a wizard to do this job because he happens to show up the next time. Right. So uh, for me, it's but, just uh, easier just to have them. It's one of the few times where I prefer the metagame to coming up with an in-story solution. And it's just based on my experiences where I don't want to create this really cool reason why you're not there and then have to just blow it up when you show up next week when you weren't supposed to be there. Because I thought I had two games without you, but now I have one, and now right. you it, have it to magically appear. It definitely gets complicated. I think, I think as a player, you tend to kind of not pay attention to those things as as well as much because it helps the story go forward. It's kind of like um, I think what movie was it? Gamers or whatever, where there's like the the wizard shows up in the forest and it's like, "Hi, oh, I'm a wizard. Like, join our party." And it's like, you know, that that's the introduction. Yeah, and. and and you can see that when a PC gets introduced, people are a lot more willing to accept him because they know he's a PC and they kind of want to get on with the story and not get stuck with the dynamics. Now, what's interesting is when somebody plays an NPC villain and it's an actual player that does it because there's games like that and that makes for instant dynamics. The only problem is if the, if the NPC is too powerful, you can kill the players because as a player, you don't you, you assume certain things. Yeah. You know, you never check your food and get poisoned. So. But the thing that you were saying where you're having to come up with a weird reason why this person appeared and disappeared, does that really make a difference of whether it's DM plus 3 or DM plus 4 or DM plus 5? I mean, or is that just pretty much... No, that was kind of a separate... I was just, It was just kind of really close. I thought I'd throw that in there. About... If you have... See, the thing is, if you have four players and you go to three, it does change the story, but it's not obvious. But when you're with only two players... It makes a significant difference, right. and I can see. Obviously, we got dogs in the background, so if you guys hear that, there's that. Yeah, I don't. There's know. nothing you can do about it. Um, but like some of the stories that I've read, there's a lot of D and D top stories or RPG top stories where you have that sort of duo. Uh, Farfred and the Gray Mouser is one that's very very popular. All people know about that one. I just started reading one this week called The Theft of Swords, 
and there's pretty much two main characters. Uh, Brothers so, Majir is the same way. That, uh, well, actually, not this. It was in one point, though, that we talked about it. In Dragonlance, it's ma- basically two characters. But see, with that, you always end up having other characters being introduced that they can't become part of the party. Come in and leave. Then they come leave, and, leave right. and they become Marty part of the party. And Doc. Exactly. So I could see a game with two people. The If it was the right two people and the right DM, you probably could have a lot of fun with that. But, but the other thing I wanted to talk about is our past game is you were having some life that got in the way of the game. And we don't need to go into any of the details, but you came to the game with baggage. So yeah. is there is there ever a time when we should just be like, we're not playing? Whether it's me as the DM, like I've had a bad day at work, or do you just power through it? Because I, th- I felt that the game didn't go that well for various reasons, and I almost felt like I should have just said, guys, I'm not ready to play tonight. Is this the last game? Yes. I See, I have no problems with the last game. Because of... Be, uh, not you, specifically because of you, but I, but we talked about that you, later. Or because during the game, you didn't feel like it was going... I think it was a combination. I wasn't exactly prepared. Because there's two things I want to hear. Because one, we talked about originally that we weren't going to play Monday. Yeah, we're going to play Monday. I Wednesday. thought it was Wednesday or Thursday, so I'll be honest. I was kind of lazy, and I didn't really do a lot of preparation. And then Sunday night, you called and like, hey, we can play Monday. So I'm like, okay, great, I want to play. And I was like, oh, shit, I haven't really prepared. And then you have to go to work, so you can't make it. Yeah. And you say, I'll do that work, but then you don't have to. Then I don't have time. So this I almost felt a... like I should have just been like, I'm not ready. This I, is I such think... a strange thing, because in my games, when I came to the game and was like, that was terrible. Nothing that that was when when our game was over and I was like that was horrible. That was terrible. We shouldn't have played. You guys would be like, oh, I had a lot of fun. It, right. And then in your game, when you're like, oh, I don't think this is going the right way. Like I had a lot of fun. I know that at the table, like it's hard. That's hard for me to say because I'm not a good person at. And I, this just depends on the people. Just being, you're just not a good person. <laughs> but let's move on. Just, that was the end of my statement. <laughs> that's, just, all I, yeah. that's all I had to say. Next topic. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good person. Um, yeah, I, I could say that it's a, a flaw in me when it comes to playing D and D. But I guess it. But it also just depends on who you have playing at your table. Where. If I'm in a bad mood because something happened when I show up at your house to play, I don't, I'm not good at like doing the like, hmm, like, you know, like turn the, change your emotions, or like change everything so that, so that, like change everything so that it doesn't make any difference to the story and what's going on. Because like, for instance, in your game, I felt like in the last game you were there was a part where you wanted to rely heavily on me to help you make something cool and it was when we went out into the market district mm-hmm. and you wanted me to be kind of like Indiana Jones where I know everything out there and and um I know the people but I'm also like a scholar because I know like they go out and they find like these artifacts and they have this stuff, but I kind of know about them. Right. And I feel like you were relying on me to help you make, like turn, make this part good. And I feel like I fell short of it because when I was sitting across the table of you, I was in a really bad 
it was I was in my character, I was role playing, but I wasn't it was really hard because because of stuff that happened earlier in the day, I wasn't in a good mood when I showed up. Right. And I just felt like the normal, you know, give and take back and forth wasn't there. Right. So, so, I, so I, guess, I don't know if that made it worse or... So, yeah. so again, we we're kind of crossing topics. So I, I, but then my original question for Nikon, for you guys, is is there a time where as a DM or a player you just say, I'm not feeling it tonight and I just don't want to play I think if you're really sick as a DM, it kind of sucks because it, well, for me, it affects my mental capacities and I think for most people probably. So if you as a DM have like, are having like a hard time thinking, then you can't really be creative. You're like, you know, you're dealing with being sick. That That's like one of those times that I've never DM'd sick. And what do you mean? Felt you mean like physically sick? Physically sick, right. Like you're, you have a Like you have like the flu, flu or whatever, yeah. you know? So you're like all sniffly and sneezing and coughing and you're trying to like play, but you have a fever. Well, that's I would sick. understand that. Like if you just said, guys, I don't feel good. I have a cold. I don't feel like sitting at a table for four hours. I just want to lay on lay. I don't feel good. I'd be like, oh, I absolutely I but, understand. But, I mean, but for me, like on Monday, it wasn't a physical illness. It's just work right now... Because I, I normally have a pretty that, easy yeah, job. Like, like I, I get paid well, and I don't have to work that hard. But there's all these other things at work right now that have turned my schedule upside down. I'm working a lot more hours. I'm having to work different schedules. And I just felt like I wasn't mentally ready to, to run. And I and what I'm That's thinking, the way I felt before every well, single see, time. It's, that it's funny that you say that because now I'm starting to think, and this is literally just like an epiphany now, that maybe the reason why your games were better than you thought and that game was better than I thought is because we weren't overly prepared and we weren't forcing the game on the players, but we were just letting them enjoy the space we've created. Because that's one of the things I like about your game most is I got to play around and do all this fun stuff that I wanted to do with my character. So maybe not forcing the story so much actually was a benefit. And since I wasn't really prepared, I was kind of like just letting you guys, you know, I did that for quite a while. I was just letting you guys role play because well, the longer you role played, the less I had to do. Well, I think... I think as a DM, you end up being self-judgmental because you, well, and I'm crazy, you, and Evan knows this, anyways. I'm self-critical to a fault, right? Yeah. Which I think that's a positive. So because, I stopped about how critical you a I am. long time ago. <laughs> no, I think it's we a, stopped being friends a long yeah, time ago. He sucks, but no, um, I think it's a positive thing because if you are constantly asking yourself, "What can I do to make the game better? Where did I mess up?" then you can make sure next time it doesn't happen. At the same time, when you do that, you think you did a horrible job because it's kind of like a confirmation bias. If you're looking at, at, at things that you messed up, you're going to always only remember that and not remember the good times or vice versa because you have people that they think they have great games and they suck. I mean, I think obviously we all have the fear that the players are not enjoying the game but they're saying the game was cool just to be nice because it's hard to be rude. Um, but at the same time, you hope that people know you well enough to say, you know what, this game wasn't your best game. Right. And um, I would definitely be open to that to that criticism from you guys. But for me, again, we, we put a one day a week, we set aside to play the game. And I really look forward to playing those games, whether I'm the too. player or the DM. I really look forward to that. Like after every game, I'm like, oh, I can't wait till the next game. So I don't want to ever miss. Like I don't want to call the game off because I know that's – I don't get to play this week. I think it's also dangerous because the more you stop games... The more likely they are to fall apart. Right. Yes. I've noticed that if you don't play for three weeks, the game is pretty much doomed. And for your Thursday game, that's what kind of happened. 
we didn't play for three for three weeks, I think, because of things going on. And then the fourth week, things were getting a lot worse. It's when you stop playing, we're playing at the other mics place. It just the, the dynamics changed so much that the game almost fell apart. And I think that was the beginning of the end for that group. Yeah. Two things. One is to kind of like simplify what you were saying is, is there a positive that comes out of not being prepared? I, I think so. I think in, in, in a limited space, sometimes that, the whole saying that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Sometimes when you're not prepared and you're forced to create, I think sometimes you might actually come up with something better than if you had an hour to sit down and you're, you're prepared to write or prepared to create but I don't think it works every time. So that, yeah, yeah. that moment of inspiration in one game, that might be like, oh, that was the coolest thing ever. Next time would be like, uh, yeah, this is Bob the Sorcerer. It probably also depends on a lot where a lot of where you are in your story. Well, uh, like, and the players and the DM. The right? reason for the story is because like right now we have we have done a lot so far in your story. We we're in the middle of a small goal. But now we also have a bigger, like our small goal right yeah. now is to get out to the tower. Yes. Our larger goal is to figure out like the killers and maybe even more. And each character has their own goals too. At least I and do. So and I know you because do. Of, and I'm assuming Rob does as well. So in reality, like my character has like six different plots going on. But, but because of that, if you show up and you're like, I don't have once I have no idea what to do this game. I don't which I don't think is the case, no, but yeah. let's just say you show up and you go, I have absolutely no idea what's going on. I'm going to sit down in the DM chair and I'm going to look across the table and go I'm going to give the recap and then I'm going to say, "What do you want to do?" Right. We all at this point already are like have all these like the our ball is rolling down the hill. So as soon as you say, "What do you want to do?" we're going to be like, "All right, this is what we do. We're gonna do. We're gonna go out here. And at this at this point, it's more like you reacting to us, right? But you and can't you can't do it in the first couple of games. No, though, when you're getting you a story going, you can't you can't right. do that because then the players are more reacting to the DM and they're looking at you for stuff. And so this is not something I plan on talking about, but just you know, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it. But how are you guys liking the game right now that we've transitioned to the wastelands? That's something. You're excited about? You don't really care? I mean, are you are you guys interested in that part of the game? I'm still excited about it, but I don't even. I mean, I don't feel like we're out there yet. I don't feel. I don't. Right. I don't really have an opinion about it because we're still like in the well for the me market area. I'm still, I'm excited to go out there. Though. For me, I I, I am excited. Um, I think this uh, it's some interesting stuff will happen. I really like your idea about how the elves were not the classic D&D elves and they were more like uh, what do you call that when they just move around nomads nomads they were like Gypsies. nomadic living in the desert like that's never an elf thing and, and that's kind of how you introduce it I thought that was, that's, that's an interesting concept right there uh, my only fear right now is I don't know if my character is becoming too silly and that's always dangerous when you have characters that are too silly they can't detract from the game because then they can't you kind of need the game to be serious with jokes. You don't want it to be crazy all the time because then the game doesn't make a lot of no, sense. I, I completely and that's the, agree. that's the danger of, of playing crazy characters too, by the way. If you play a crazy character or a really stupid character, they can make some interesting moments, but 
But if you overdo it, it can kind of destroy the game. Uh, D&D just... is meant to be fun and it's meant to be funny. Right. And I'm all about having moments of levity and, and funny stuff happening. But I think it should come out of the characters doing something, not because the character is silly. Right. And particularly in the game I'm trying to run, which is a, this urban, gritty, you guys are mobsters. I mean, it's not a funny set situation, but some of the things that Rob has done have been funny. Some of the things that Grexel has said have been funny, but they're funny within the moment, right. not just... This doesn't have anything to do with this podcast, but I want to ask this question right now, and it'll just be a quick response. But Grexel has a secret... That I know because... Out of character, you know, right? Right, because Because I didn't think we were going to play anymore, so I told him because I was... So, and you're saying now that you're afraid of your character getting too silly, where I don't think it's... I don't think it's at that point yet, or even... I don't think it's He has potential, and that's my fear. Yes, but I don't think you're playing it to that point. Right. But do you... My question is, like, are you... You're... It doesn't matter. These people don't have anything to do with our game, so you're... The character that you're playing... To our group, he makes himself appear really stupid. Even though he has an 18 intelligence, right? Yeah. He and is extremely does he, smart. Does he know about the and he's, clan stuff, the group stuff as well? Yes. All right, so and he's has, a genius. So and the, do, the do others, you, the, sorry, do, I know where you're going, so I'm going to just answer it. Um, so he has 18 intelligence, but pretends he's stupid. And at the same time, he actually belongs in, in a rival gang, and he's a spy to this gang. And... So I'm going to explain to you my mindset of uh, as a player playing Grexel, and I think it would be interesting for people to hear this because sometimes that does happen. The more involved, the more personality your character develops. So Grexel is in, in an interesting situation, and actually, uh, Mike sent me wrote down a message saying, "You do realize that the whole point of you being a spy was to be with Zane, which is Evan's character, inside. Pretty much, that's what we were saying. Like, if you leave the city." You're no longer a spy because you're not spying for the group. Right. So his his goal is to spy on Graydon. And is that when you were wanting to go see Graydon and you yes. were wanting to? That was part of it. The other problem was we Mike and I role played stuff when you guys had to move upstairs about things that have happened before I had started pushing for Graydon, which you have actually changed what I would say to you guys when I came back to the sewer and met you guys up. The problem is because I had already committed in the previous game of saying, let's go to Graydon, I had to keep role-playing that even though based on what happened with the one-on-one that Mike and I had, I no longer wanted to go to Graydon. But if, if I said, no, it's cool, you guys would be like, wait, what just happened? Yeah. So I had to actually, and I, I was wondering what you were thinking, by the way, when I kept saying Graydon, Graydon, Graydon. I was like, but so I had do you, to. Do I you had feel to like because... it's still part of you to keep playing him stupid? Or well, do you feel like he's, he needs that's, to... that's where I was kind of leading to. So Grexel as a player, uh, well, Grexel as a person, I guess, and me as a player is thinking, do I trust them and say, hey, I'm actually really smart. I've been just faking it all this time. How and do you just... have that conversation? No, <laughs> like, you, you could no, it's it's like coming isn't out. It, isn't I'm, it funny? I'm actually a genius. Isn't it funny <laughs> if you've had a friend for years <laughs> right. who you thought was an idiot and one day he's like, actually, I'm really smart. And you're like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, he comes up like, actually, the theory of relativity is not correct and I'll but, tell you why. But I wouldn't even know if that's true if he's <laughs> right. telling the truth. Because it's not um, like I'm really smart. No, see, I... As a character, his thing, his his debate, and actually, I I don't know if I talked about it when the email I sent you. His debate is: is this his way to escape from the deadlock he found himself in, which is he's spying for people, but he's starting to get to like them, and he's kind of trusted, even though Zane doesn't trust him hundred percent all the time. 
or does he just say, you know what, screw this, I'm leaving? Now, me as as a, as, a, as an actual person, I don't want to say I'm leaving because when I do, then it count what's going to happen to the group. I'm going to have to make a new character, which I would really do that if I thought that that's what Grexel will do. But I think Grexel is kind of debating, like, since Zane kind of opened up and said, hey, this is why I was with Graydon, this is what I'm doing, what I'm doing. And since there's all that complexity with being a double spy and all that stuff. and But part of the background that mine gave me was I was creating a nest egg so I can leave. Yeah. So this is kind of my way to escape because then people won't know where I went. The problem is what happens if we return back yeah. to the town? That's then right. I might be screwed because well, they'll be like, well, This happened? is one of the things, that, again, I think it's just funny because we've said this over and over again. I'll reiterate it. Players don't do... Oh, what... I think you're going to say you want to be a writer. <laughs> no, no, I'm done with that for now. But I do want to be right. <laughs> I want to be right or right, 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 But uh, players don't do what you expect them to do. I was surprised that you were so quick in, in my estimation of like saying, you know, I'm secretly, I really want to find out who Graydon, I, he told Rob, not you, that the whole thing with Graydon and why he wants to go away. And like, I, I have all this plot built up for you being in the city. And that's one of the reasons why I'm like, well, are they even going to come back to the city now? Like I, because I'm not sure how that's. Going to work. I'm going to want to come back to the city because my main goal behind everything is Graydon. Yes. Well, but, if you find out that Graydon is not <coughs> the person responsible for your partner's death, though, then I don't there's, know. There's, then there's no reason to go back. Right. Well, at that point, if I found out if like before I go back and find out more stuff about Graydon, if I learn something else out in the wastelands then then that will fulfill my questions and and Graydon is just off I mean maybe I'll go back to the city and keep working for Graydon because at this point I haven't give, really given Graydon a big reason to not want me to work for him anymore um, aside from stealing his drugs yeah, well, and losing his artifact yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we found it that way yeah, yeah. we yeah <laughs> But one of the things that we wanted to talk about was a suggestion that came from one of our Twitter guys. Uh, I think it's Bear Lad is how you would say it. He's one of the guys that we've been communicating with pretty much since, since the beginning, even before when we were Dice Monkeys. He was one of the people that was actually talking to Mark Meredith. I'm reading your mind, <laughs> and I know what No, you don't know what I'm going to say. You've right, never heard this topic before. Okay. Is using a pre-generated setting, again, like Eberron or Dragonlance or Forest, uh, Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk, whatever. Dark Sun. Dark Sun. Or using everything homebrewed. Okay. Since we've already talked about this once, or already we've started twice. this twice, let's start it in a different way. So let me ask you, okay. if you've had a better, in your past, have you had a better experience playing games? You can do it from both sides, as a DM or from a player. Have you had a better experience when you've done... When you created your own world and you've run, run people through it, or when you've well, done in typical it fashion, I'm going to ignore your question and say what I want to say, anyways. <laughs> so I respect your opinion, and it's wrong. <laughs> and it's wrong. So as I've said many times before, Eberron's my favorite setting, but I have never gotten to play in an Eberron setting the way I want to. Even with rotating DM, it still wasn't exactly what I want. Like it's not as much that I want to run an Eberron game, as, even though I do love the setting, as much as that's the type of game I want to play in. So I still, even with that, much as I love Eberron, it doesn't satisfy me as a DM as much as, as making up my own stuff. So there's things I like about it and things I don't. So the short answer, just because we've covered this ground so many times before, is 
I love the freedom of making up whatever I need to on the spot. And I think it's something I do pretty well. So I can create a town. I can populate it with interesting NPCs involving the, the players. We talked before about, you know, cooperative storytelling where I ask you to tell me what the shopkeeper looks like or I ask you to tell me what that attack looked like. But everything that you're saying is from a DM's point of view. Right, from a DM's point of view. But I still like to read the settings and I steal things. Like I might steal a whole city whole cloth and just plug it into my world but it's not eberron but i'll use the city of karnath or i'll use the city of um ah shit what's what's the name of the the city of towers sharn yeah sharn i I love sharn so i'll take those and plug them into my own games because i may need to put a town where there isn't one in eberron setting or i may need to make a bad guy who doesn't already exist or something like that so I do enjoy reading the, the, the source books. It gives me a lot of inspiration, a lot of knowledge. But at the end of the day, I'm probably never going to run a game that is whole cloth Eberron or Dragonlance or Forgotten Realms. As a player, I would love to play in an Eberron game because I've read so much about it. I've read all the novels that are in the in the, in the series. So I'm very comfortable with the world. And I think I would get a lot of enjoyment of having these things happen that I know as a person, like, oh, that's that druid order from the you know those that woods or oh that's the the secret head of the house caneth west that kind of thing so as a dm your preference is to create your own but as a player you haven't really played in enough or and you there's actually stuff that you wish you have played in but you haven't i don't get to play a whole lot but i would love to play in an ebron game that was ran like i think i would run an ebron game so nico what about how about as a player have you have you had better experiences in, with a DM who's running a pre-written a pre like a book a pre-built world or when the DM's running his own world? As a player, um, this is a different question, so you threw me off a little bit. Um, well, as a player, I'm thinking of all my games. Actually, the most enjoyable games I've had are in creative universes that don't exist because. Everything is a surprise. I think uh, as much as you try to not use out-of-character information, you end up kind of knowing things. So you limit yourself in the environment you're in because you're like, well, I know I can't do this. Or I wouldn't go north because it doesn't make sense because there's giants over there and they would kill us. So because of that... I, I, I and this is the reason why I've never read the monster manual from beginning so if, to end. If everybody, so not know. if everybody knows the world of Eberron... The players and the DM. You almost you kind might, of limit yourself because you, you're you kind not of gonna, already know what's going on. Because you're going to avoid things that... Right. And, and, and to kind of go to the 1.0 version of this discussion, um, I think some people are so obsessed with the environment that they're in and because they have the knowledge, they will correct the DM or they'll say, no, we can't do this. With things that not necessarily they would know in game, but because they know it out of game, they'll say, no, actually, those two guys don't talk because there's this and this and this happened then. Um, so I think it complicates things a lot more. At the same time, as a new DM, I think there's advantages of, of using a pre-made universe because then you don't have to deal with things like names and, and deities and coming up with a, a whole pantheon to like make it work out. You can kind of go with what's there and you're still able to develop the story within the framework that you have. And I think that can work really well with a brand new D&D group because they won't know the environment. 
only the DM will because right. they've read the second book or whatever, so, well, and well, they can go from there. One thing I want to mention is, for me, one of the benefits of having that existing setting only exists if your players have also played in it. Or, I'm sorry, read, read about it. So, for example, one of the things about Eberron that I love is that there's two source books. There's a DM source book, and then there's a player source book. And if you read the player source book, it tells you things that aren't true, but it's things that your players would think. So, like, if there's a secret plot where this guy is actually the head of, of the kingdom, but they pretend like this guy is, the player's handbook tells you that this guy's in charge of the kingdom because that's what everybody knows. But the DM, you're like, oh, that's cool because secretly he's not. And so one of the things that happened in an Eberron game I was running, there, there's 12 different houses, and they all have these sort of uh, merchantile uh, things that they control that makes them wealthy and famous or whatever. So there was a situation where the players needed to get somewhere quickly. And as a DM, I knew that one of the things that they should do is go to one of the houses, it's House Fidelis, because they have mage-bred horses that are really fast. But none of my players had read the setting well enough to know that, so I ended up having to tell them, well, you know, if you went to House of Dallas, you could, you know, you could rent out major bread horses. Right, so at that, that point, the setting became useless because I had to tell them anyways. It's not like someone could go, oh, I know House of Dallas. They, you know, so the, the benefit of using that setting was wasted because my players didn't know it well enough to use information that their characters would have known because they grew up there. But could you say that that benefited you, though, because you didn't have to think like, hey, there's a faster way. You can be like, well, I already know this. I mean, from that perspective, I think it helped you out because you already yeah. had the house, you already had the name, you already already knew what they're specialized in, and I bet you if you had interacted with the house more, you would probably know the dynamics of the house as well. Like, is it more militaristic? Is it more mission-like? Like, their behavior right. and stuff, you already know because you've read the story. So I just think it would be better if the players also had read a little bit more. I think it would have made it better for me as the DM because I just felt like all this stuff I knew was kind of wasted in some way. It is a weird thing where, like, in the story that, like, when we start your story or when you guys started my story, you're starting as, like, in mine, you're starting as kids who were young teenagers, and in yours, you're starting, we're starting as adults, you know, but it's like we're those players who were just dropped in the world. Like, we're that age, but we're just dropped in the world, because we don't know anything. Yeah. So we have to ask everything, we have to ask questions, whereas, like... In if you're playing in a world that's pre-built and and the players have also read up on it too, it's more like okay, yeah, we're playing in Cincinnati. Well, I've lived here for years. I know what Cincinnati's like, you know. As opposed to if we just showed up for the first, like we're twenty, but we just showed up for right. the first time. And, and there's a give and take to that. So there's things about it I like. There's things that I don't. I think for a first-time DM, again, I would probably read a source book and would help inspire me and give me things to work off of but I don't know that I would use it whole cloth now the other side of that equation because that's another thing that a barrel had asked us to talk about is what about an adventure so not talking about a source book but as a first time DM should I try to create my own game or should I go to the local game shop and get buy module number one that could be in a setting or could not be but it gives you the plot the counters and you know like a basic story so how if you're if you're thinking I want to DM, and I have this story that I want to tell, then you then you that's what you do. If you're thinking like I want to DM, but you don't have anything in mind, then you grab a book. I mean, 
See, I'm, I'm, I've had this conversation before about. I feel like I have too. No, 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 not not with this group. I had this conversation before about Twice. about pre <laughs> about pre made adventures, and, and somebody said something very interesting. He said, "Do you think USDM can come up with a better story than?" insert cool writer here, right? Can you come up with a better story than Tolkien can or anybody else? Like, I mean, we all know, we all have our favorite fiction books. And sometimes those people do write adventures well, for D&D. Story, and say, yes, and but you can the say, way it's told, maybe no. Right, and you can say, from my perspective, you can assume that when you do play the Dragonlance adventure with Brothers Majir, it's going to be awesome. Or you can assume that, I don't know what Eberron stories are out there, but I'm sure if you played that adventure module, it would be cool because the plot is already cool. But at the same time, as we all know, the players don't really do what the NPCs were doing. Because they'll get distracted, or they might be uh, experiencing the character different than it was in the, sto- in the story, etc. So then you end up getting stuck because here you are, you have this adventure but the players are going south, but they're supposed to be going north. And then what do you do? Do you move the dungeon to the south so they can encounter it? Or you just say, this happened in the first game that I played with you guys in IDM, which I was uh, I was following this anime series, uh, Fist of the North Star, which if you guys have watched it, it's like an old 80s anime. But in any case, in the story, the certain things were happening and there was a lot of battles. So I'm like, this is perfect for D&D because I was just adapted in a fantasy setting. But in reality... They become became bad guys, even though in the face of the North Star. Yeah, I think we covered character. this on that last right, podcast. Right, So yeah. it's like, I mean, that that's that is the danger part. If you run your own adventure and they don't follow the plot, then what do you do? You kind of left hanging, and it, there will be a gap in how the game flows. Well, I think I've told you before, just in in, in passing, that I have a history of buying modules and not running them. I usually will rip the map out of the book, and I'll take the names of the NPCs. And that's usually about it, because I often find that adventures, the way they're written, are pretty lin- linear, and that's not the type of story I like to tell. It's helpful, especially if this is the first time you've ever DM'd. Absolutely. I think there is nothing wrong with taking a module and just running it straight through, and, and the good and the bad, the warts and, and, and all, because you're going to learn from it, and you're going to see how an encounter should be built to be pretty you know, balanced. You, you but get, for me, I always like to add multiple layers. Like, you know, there might be an adventure that says, well, the blacksmith's daughter is secretly having an affair with the, the town, you know, mayor's son. And that's one of the plot points. With my version, that guy's a doppelganger and he's actually there and he's working for, I'll create another NPC and I will make this huge world out of what the little story was. And you may never even figure that part out. But I'm going to keep adding complexity on top of complexity. Your stories are like... No, yeah, you're very good at doing that. Actually, I'm I'm almost jealous of it because I wish I could do that well. Because I think my adventures are... Well, he wants to be be a writer. I do. (laughs) 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 Have I told you that? You know, I'm glad you picked up on that. No, but I mean, a linear adventure is good for certain things, especially if the players are inexperienced. Otherwise, they'll say, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But, I mean, because you like realism in your stories, it makes sense that there's 15 different things happening. The PCs only know about four, but there's still four different things that they have to deal with. So, I think that's positive. I think uh, you can use adventures as um, 
uh, inspiration. Or the other thing that helped me out is I would see how adventures are written down and kind of emulate that style when I'm preparing for a game to be like, you know what, it does make sense to have all the stats for the NPC because you never know what might happen. And then if they do attack him, you're not like, uh, let me just come up with it on the spot. Right. Like you have all that information. And you have all that story, so you can kind of do it. And I wish, I have, I've never shown you guys my notes, but basically my notes are like it's like an outline of everything because I won't write the entire story because you never know what people will How do. How about let's have you post that on our website? Like, just take like one page of your notes for a game, and we can post it as a like yeah, an example. I, I have this the yeah for all the games that we've played. I have the notes, so I can just send them to you. Okay, just yeah, I'd like to put so, that on there so other people, maybe new DMs, can see how you format. Well, them. I can send you the. Uh, do I still have the adventure that the entire party died with the zombies? I think I still have that too, <laughs> <laughs> which was interesting. I also like titling my adventures, mm-hmm. kind of like because it makes sense. It kind of gives you an idea and the theme of what you're going for. Yeah. So I know that you read a lot. Do you do you read a lot of books constantly? I used like to the way read, Michael does. I used to read fiction like every day. Okay. But I kind of got burned out for the last five years. I have read maybe two fiction books, but see, I still read a lot. It's just not fiction. I would say that. The majority of people who play D anD D are probably like that, where they they have a hunger for stories and fiction and to, you know that kind of thing. So, what if you're a first time DM and you don't necessarily want to go by like a module or a book, but you are a reader and you is there? Do you think that novels? can detail a world enough in a way that a that a D uh book does to where you can say well i don't necessarily i i want to be a first time dm i don't necessarily want to play them in eberron but maybe i want to play them in middle earth you know like yeah you, you, you can, can just use the setting from books that you've read it can or be from a book it can be from a movie it can be from a cartoon. It can be from a story you heard about something that happened in, like, I don't know, war, and then just convert it to, like, a more fantasy setting. You can be inspired for anything. And I think it seems like Mike does this, and I do the same thing. You read a story, and you're like, whoa, that was really cool, and you just kind of, like, have it in your head. And then it comes up, and you're like, oh, it's kind of like what I said in what an hour ago when we were recording that. It's like... um, some, well, now I lost my train of thought. Anyway, so <laughs> if the, the, the problem is that you have the, these great ideas and they kind of like are in your head. So then when you're ready to run, you almost have too many ideas. But at least you have plot points and you're like, I want to do this and this. The danger is they might know the plot because they realize what story you're playing and then they can like kind of I, guess I, it. I, I pick and choose from a lot of different stories. And, and right now, and I've said it before, I listen to quite a few podcasts. Part of it is research for ours to see what other people are doing and what I like about their podcasts. So I listen to a couple of live play podcasts and I listen to a couple other more like our discussion podcasts and I'm still in the crap out of them. And, but usually I take it and I still, I twist it a little bit. So even right. if you knew that like episode seven of this podcast, I stole from it. I don't know that you would be able to say that's what I stole. You know, it might've like one, I named this, I stole the name of a city from one. I saw another one like in the game we're playing now, which is, sort of parallel to my original game about the alien invasion is in that story there was a, uh, basically it wasn't the same thing but there was an alien involved i was like oh, that's cool i've never had an alien in D D, 
and so that's where my alien came from. But you, right. I don't think you would ever be able to pull yeah, that. That came out of left field, like, yeah. like we were playing you, that. You, you, yeah, I mean that's what happens, right? You take different ideas and you kind of bring them together. And if you take four different stories and you take four different ideas and then make them your own, no one can really tell where it's from. In your head, you kind of know. But even that kind of mutates after yeah, a while. So. One of the mantras of, of being a writer is that there are no original stories. I mean, there's different yeah. there's different takes on the story, but there isn't there's a story. different ways of telling it. Right. You can take any story in the world, and I can show you in the Bible somewhere that came from. It's a dilemma. Oh, how to use the Bible, huh? Yeah. Well, no. See, here's here's the funny thing. Well, it's a book it, of it, fiction, right? <laughs> here's the funny thing. Like, it's uh, a classic. When, That's where uh, my next story is going to take yeah, place. Yeah. When, when, like, the funny Jerusalem. thing is when a book comes out that is very different than all the other books it creates almost a new type of fiction or a new type of... Like, when the, when the Hobbit came out, right, with Tolkien, if you read The Hobbit now, you're like, it's so cliche, because you're like, oh, or, or I've seen the story before a hundred times. The difference is, when he wrote it, he was an original. Oh, yeah, it's just you like know? Twilight. And, Twilight comes out, and now you can't swing a dead cat it. without hitting a vampire or a zombie. Yeah, I mean, Jesus. it's just crazy how it just basically people... St- try to recreate and then one person eventually say like you know i'm tired of that i'm gonna do this and then everybody jumps on that but everything just goes in cycles i mean like you know there was a time in like the 70s when you know zombie movies were you know crazy like when people they were using Mm -hmm. guys were using special effects and doing like blood and gore and getting really popular with that stuff and And then disappeared control and then then it went away and came back right and now now it's zombies was like a little bit ago now vampires are bigger but everything just goes in cycles i mean there's only so how many original things can you create and you know it seems like everything's pretty much out there if there's something that you think is original it's probably just a little bit of a spin off of something right exactly it's it's not what it's not the story it's how you tell it yeah. And I think that's what we do in our D&D games. We steal ideas from all over the place, but we try to tell them in a creative way. Okay, so using that on how you how you tell it, it's more about how you tell it. Um, we This is what we were talking about before, is what you're doing in your game now, where you're letting us like create your world with you as you're... Right. And as you're again, telling it. Do, you, we covered do that. you like the way that that's going? I do. Uh, I And one of the things... Um, wanting to be a writer, have I said that yet? <laughs> is it some of these like seminars and, and, and even like when I was in college taking creative writing courses, one of the things that I find very interesting and fun, it's kind of like improv, is having someone else give you a prompt. So for like a creative writing, like you, you might have an hour to write a, a three-page story and they'll say, okay, your story has to involve a conflict between a cab driver and a businessman and there has to be... Um, this guy in there, a waiter or another businessman, whatever. And then you have to create a story, and you'd have 10, 12 people in a class writing this, and then we'd go around and read them next week, and stories we all had different stories. Right. So it's kind of interesting when I give you guys freedom to say, what does this person look like, or what's his name? It's not. It doesn't ever feel stifled. I never feel like, oh, crap, I didn't want the, the shopkeeper to be one arm. Now I'm thinking... Oh, how do you lose that arm? That's cool. You know, it, it helps so, me. Yeah, it's like it? seeds, right? You get <coughs> seeds to to establish a greater story. Correct. Do you do it more in in instances where you think to yourself, "Hmm, I I wasn't prepared for that. I I don't. I'm not really sure about that." So so then you say, "Describe that to me," or "Tell me what he looks like," or "Tell me what this shop looks like," or "Tell me what this well, town looks like," or so you use it as like a tool 
Right. For, you know, if you run into something that you weren't prepared for, or do you, do, do you use it more like you have it planned out ahead of time that you, you maybe we might go see this town and you're just going to let us tell it, you. It's a it's little like. bit of both. And again, we, we covered this before. I don't remember what all was deleted or not. So I may be repeating myself. But the first time, because I haven't done that a lot. Like, this isn't something I've done for years. It's another thing I've stolen from a podcast I've been listening to, where I want you guys to have a greater investment in the story. And part of that is to have you cooperatively tell me things. And it started, the first time I did it was with, a, with some sort of battle. I think it was that you or Rob rolled a natural 20 on an attack. And I could just tell you were excited. You were trying to kill the guy, and you rolled a good roll. I'm like, you tell me what that attack looked like. You know, what, what did that, from your point of view, what did you see? And that's kind of how I started slowly working it in. So I kind of do that now intentionally. Like if I see you guys just really want something to work or you come up with a cool idea and you really want to see it work, I'll let you tell me what it looks like because you've already got a very vivid image yeah, of what it should look like. because usually you as the player have already created why you think it's cool and you're thinking right. about it in your head and you have that picture and that detail. And and you maybe even like you don't necessarily want the DM to get it wrong. Like maybe yeah. if you have this picture in your head and this the way it should be, and then the DM is because sometimes I felt this is being way too picky, but sometimes I felt like cheated because something I felt like something that just happened was momentous. Yeah, well, it was we big. we covered that. It was that that leather game where you ran the fire wagon into the spider. Yeah, we talked about that. I undersold that. And because you had this you were, huge thing, yeah. and I was just like, and you killed the spider. You were like, <laughs> everything's on fire. Yeah. And so Your that, turn. That was yeah. one of the things that... that <laughs> and I was like, no, wait, go back to that. That it's was cool. one of the individual moments I can go back to and, and where I thought I need to do something different. And that's where I kind of stole that from a podcast. I was like, I should have had Evan describe what that looked like. So that was one of the seeds for me making that change in our, in our new game was specifically because I knew that I undersold it. After, after I went back, I was like... That should have been a huge moment, and I did not let it be that way. Yeah, sometimes you get caught up. I think so. One of my favorite cards. So There's a game called Exalted that was that's made by White Wolf. I think it's still active. So it's it's very similar to D and D because it's kind of medieval medieval like. It's just a little bit more heroic, I guess I can say. But one of the things that they have about that game is they have what they call st- uh, stunt dice. You basically can get it between they they get the system is totally different, but you can get one two three extra dice if you make a cool description that the DM likes, and he can say, "Oh, that's cool." Or you can add more dice. The idea being, the more creative you are, the more you get awarded for it, and then the cool stuff you can do again to go for the whole heroic feeling. And I think that was really cool for me playing that type of game because then you kind of are almost forced to be creative. And I think what made it even more fun for me is that the character I was playing was. It was red something. I don't remember. He had like this kind of crazy martial brawling art that you kind of um, use weapons that can be like a broomstick or a plant or, you know, a ladder, whatever. You can just use the crazy stuff in your environment. So I had to constantly come up with cool ideas of like what's going on in my environment, things that not even the DM define and be like, we're wearing an inn. Do I see like a broomstick? I'll grab it, and you know, or like you grab like the beer glass and you start beating people with it, which that allows creativity. And I think the more you do it, the more you get into your character, the more you feel part of the story. I think it all helps, but you need certain types of players to do that. I th- I, another thing is like, especially like, let's say the rooms that we went into where where we were like being, having being the, tested, being tested in the encounters, like 
whenever I would play in games of yours before and we were having an encounter, I would always ask like tell me more about the room like is there this over here or is there this and you and i'd be maybe i might say like i don't know are there ledges and i know you know that i say that because you want a ledge i want a ledge and you'd be like and maybe i don't think you i never felt like you cheated me on anything but you might be like um not really i mean it's you know it's flat stone walls and it's a normal you know it's a normal room yeah and i'd be like oh, oh. <laughs> okay so, but if you, you know, if you say, if your player says, are there, by the way, you have glitter, <laughs> you have glitter right here that looks like you just came from a strip club. <laughs> okay, so I was at work yesterday, this, this very short story, we were at work yesterday, and there was glitter all over a table, like, I mean, all over a table, and all day, everybody, we had like this big meeting, like all the field staff and district staff were there, we all looked like we came from a strip club. So yes, you just look like you had titties in your face before. No, you. I, I wish, I wish I did. No, I was giving a presentation. All right, so, yeah. So I have so you, stripper dust. Yeah. So um, you know that like I want something to be there, and because I want because there's something in my head that I want to do, where if you as a DM say describe the room to be what you look like, but you also as a DM have to be really comfortable in knowing that you can let somebody else tell a little bit of your story or describe something in your story and it's not taking anything away from you, you know? So they, so if you like, you know, describe the bar that you're in, tell me what it's like. And you know, they describe it, then they get to use that stuff later that they describe. Well, and we had talked about this one of the previous podcasts about, again, going back to Stephen King and how he talks about, you shouldn't over describe something. You let the reader Mm -hmm. fill in their details. So I think there's, I guess the two avenues is if you're going to create a very interesting complex dungeon, for example, that I might pick a room where there's a hole in the floor that has collapsed and it goes down to a cavern or to a a sub level. So that would have provided a a ledge in that room for you. So, but I have to create that ahead of time. And then when you walk in that room, I need to describe everything that you see or the way that we're doing it now, which is much easier is you just kind of describe the room. Like, okay, you're in a natural stone wall room. It's pretty big. You think... There's a fire in one corner, and it's kind of dark and shadowy. Well, that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. So if you then ask, well, what does the floor look like? I might go, well, there's a sinkhole where part of the room is collapsed. I didn't create that to begin with because you're asking. Then I let I'll, I put that there. That's a really good, like, I don't know if we talked about exactly this before, but you're, like, basically I, what I'm thinking is, like, as a DM, it can benefit you to not don't to not. It's hard for me to say it because it goes contradictory to everything that we've been saying. Where <laughs> like we're doing theater of the mind now, and we want as as DMs, we're trying to be more descriptive and we're trying to paint better pictures. But at the same time, if you paint kind of a vague picture, and then you leave options open to your players. If you just say it's a normal tavern, then you don't have to be overly descriptive because you left you you didn't describe it to a T and now you've left it open for them to be like is there a stage? Yeah, there's a stage. Is there a fan in the seal in the middle? Yeah, there's a fan. And if they want things to be there by asking you 
because maybe they want to use them for something or something, then you've left it open right. for those things to be there. Because I'm never of, going to describe a tavern right. and go through 27 NPCs mm-hmm. that are in there, right. but I might say there's a loud, boisterous uh, dwarf playing cards, there's a, a elf bard on a stage, and there's a bunch of barmaids But see, around. I think the, what you're saying right now is kind of the way that I've been thinking that I should be doing it. You should describe 27 it's NPCs try, in a trying bar. trying to be overly descriptive and there, paint the best picture that there's I can. A, there's a balance. Yeah. Right? Definitely. If you describe every single detail, you actually stop the momentum of the game because you're like, mm-hmm. oh, there's, there's five guys are drinking four beers, blah, blah, blah. And then you go to the next table and you say, well, there's like a two dwarves and a gnome. So you're like, why is there a gnome there? And then like you can make it too over descriptive. The problem is if you're too vague and the players ask no questions then you have a vague environment. So again, that hurts your immersion. So I think there's a very interesting balance there that you have to describe enough to like give the feel, but leave enough space for people to be able to be creative. Right. And I think the key details, you know, couple sights, couple sounds, couple smells, maybe a taste. Uh, you want to do it just enough to paint that picture like the tavern again. Is it well lit? Is it dark? Is it full? Or is it almost empty and there's only a couple people in there? Is it opening so they're setting up tables? Is it closing because there's a drunk getting kicked out? Just You can give a couple quick sentences that really puts me, okay, I know what kind of bar we're in, but there's still a lot of detail left open. Oh, and yeah, I can but, ask those questions or we can... Right. A, a good example is, uh, this is a game before Evan played, which was... This is when Jared killed the the bard, right? We're in, and we, were in the, we were in the inn, the bard was singing... And the waitresses were bringing me like messages in the beer. There was a lot of people, but he hadn't described all the people. But we knew something was going on with the bar, so we were checking him out. We were checking out the bar because we wanted to follow him. We kind of knew about the waitress. There were like things happening, but you hadn't defined every single person that was there and what everybody was doing. So it kind of allowed. I think in a funny way, it allowed my my images in my head to be formed better because mm-hmm. it's just like things that matter things that don't and it never came into play that we need more details in that situation but that was a good a good example of, of being vague but also being descriptive for some key elements to create that setting and that idea right so yeah so i guess going back kind of a quick recap uh, you know if you're a first time dm and you want to buy an adventure there's absolutely nothing wrong with it but at the same time don't feel constrained by don't it. do it <laughs> <laughs> well do it because you got to buy stuff for all these companies will go out of business um uh, i will say though that it's it, it's really rewarding to play people through your own your own story yes. especially when you're doing it for the first time right uh same thing with settings you know like i love eberron and even the game that we're playing now, there's things from Eberron that I've snuck in there or will be snuck in there. So it's not a bad idea to pick those up and read them. But again, just don't feel constrained to it. And then as far as description, sometimes less is more. If you're going to over-describe things and you need to make sure that you're painting a clear picture so that you don't leave out details that would be helpful, like, oh, yeah, there's a ledge there that you fall off of, but I didn't tell you there was a ledge there. Yeah, that so, always sucks. So I would rather be a little bit less, you know, less descriptive and allow the players to fill things in. If you haven't been doing this, let your players describe things, whether it's how an attack looks, how a crit looks, what the barmaid looks like, what the city looks like at night. You know, give them a little, you know, what does that look like to you? And start sprinkling that in. I think you'll be surprised at how well it will work. But if you're going to do that, which I think we went over, we covered this in take one, but <laughs> skipped over it in take two. If you're going to do that... Um, don't sit down at your table as the DM and you and your players don't know that you're going to be asking them to do that because 
you know, like we ran into a situation where somebody wasn't ready for it. And when you said describe that to me, they were, they're expecting you, the DM, to give them the details. And you're expecting, they're expecting you to tell them the story. And if you, if they're not ready for it and you turn it around and you say, describe that to me, they might get uncomfortable or they might say, you know, uh, what? what do you mean? It'd be um, like saying that roll an attack and go, but don't roll a 20. I need you to roll three D6 this time. What, what do you mean? Like, why, why, why are you, you changing yeah, the rules on me? Yeah, so if if it's a really good idea and it's a really good thing to do, but talk about it before your game even starts, so that they know, like, hey, if I, you know, when I say this to you, they know what's coming. And they know what to start with. slow too, so they can kind of get the idea, and then you can do it more and more. I think if you start doing it, we've found it to be rewarding, really rewarding. In our and then as far as group size, I think there we just kind of covered that. Small is okay, depending on the DM and the story and the players, but once you get above five or six players, it's very difficult to maintain that. And it's one of the things, actually, just quickly, some of the podcasts I've been listening to that are live play, most of the ones that I'm listening to that are live play, they have six, seven, and eight characters or players, and that's one of the things I'm not liking about them, and I'm usually moving on to something else Mm. because it's taking too long. It's like watching a movie with too many characters. I can't keep up with who's who. Um, so at least listening to a live play podcast, if it has more than four or five or more than five or six players, I'm just not even listening to it. So I think that's about our time just because we didn't record for a while. Yeah. Uh, but Nico, I appreciate you coming. I thought you added a lot to the podcast as well. Evan, thanks for the new studio. This is when our new music will be played. Yep. I hope you enjoy it. So again, thanks for listening guys. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. See ya. See ya. You can give us feedback and comments at our website, dndacademy.com. You can check out previous podcasts at our website and subscribe to future ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we'd love to hear it. Email your ideas to podcast at dndacademy.com and you can connect with us on Twitter at dnd underscore academy. As always, thanks for listening and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.